my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes, see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we draw, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Obviously, it's a, a much more somber episode than we were hoping to record. But let's start this off a little lively, Mike. Something happened over the weekend and got you a little riled up. Why don't you take us through your brief Twitter spat with former Montreal Alouettes owner Gary Stern? It was uh, quite interesting from an outsider's perspective. What the hell happened? What got you so ripped up about what he had to say just uh take us through the timeline there and we'll we'll have some thoughts on on that guy well you know gary stern's an interesting character isn't he he's, he's still you know obviously still a cfl fan after um no longer owning the montreal alouettes but he had a, an interesting tweet the other day and it was he was tagging dave naylor and steve and sanchez and burness and he said tomorrow night argos versus tie cats i can't wait to go Great Cup champs against its wannabe rival. Being out of CFL, I really miss caretaker Bob. Hope to see Pinball and Gang fans come out and sell it out. Argos win. Um, obviously, the comment in that tweet is wannabe rival. I It's just such a weird thing to say. I replied with wannabe rival, question mark. I'm not even sure what you mean by that, but maybe it was kind of like you were a wannabe owner who embarrassed the franchise <laughs> with silly nonsense online and then got booted to the... And I, I messed it up here at the very end, just put curve instead of curb, but you guys know what I meant, uh, and then got booted to the curb. So it's just, I don't get Gary Stern very much. He's He's a very odd person, and do you know what he meant by wannabe rival because in my books the argonauts and the tiger cats are like the number one rival in the cfl and it's been like that for uh over 100 years i don't i saw a comment from some dingus commenting on your thing about the argos have won four great cups and the tie cats have not in the last 20 years so it's not a rivalry because they're not an equal footing but how many of those great cups did the Argos beat the Tie Cats in? The answer is none. And the Argos never make the great cup if they have to face the Tie Cats in the playoffs. So, you know, like, I don't understand that comment from someone else as well. Like, to me, Stern's just a clown. Like, I don't understand what he was trying to get across there. Like, is he still, like, his profile picture is still him in an Alouette's jersey. Is he trying to gin up that, like, the Owls and the Argos are more heated rivalry based on nothing like i i don't understand the comment like to me he's just he's a he's a someone you don't take seriously as a like now that he's not an owner he's like just some schmuck like the rest of us so his shtick is just kind of obnoxious in my opinion like i don't know the point he was trying to make like i think he's a doofus for saying it 
without it. And he never elaborated on the statement. Like he didn't respond to you in any measurable way. I think he just said like, oh, it's great to have Ticap fans or something along those lines. Like he just comes off. And I know we talked about this in previous episodes when he was the owner in Montreal. He comes off as like that rowdy uncle who's I don't have a filter and I say what I mean, but he's just like every other dickhead on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like you're no different than the rest of us. You just say stuff to say stuff sometimes. And like now that he's not affiliated with the CFL, I I don't care what he has to say. And I just don't understand why he feels the need to interject as an owner. I can understand the idea of like, Oh, he's trying to gin up like controversy and, 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 publicity like because you know all publicity is good publicity like that sort of stuff or, or make a I, I would have understood that i don't necessarily think it's the right way to go for the guy who's at the head of the table but i understand what he could have been thinking in that respect but now that he's just some dude like the rest of us i i just don't get like i don't care about the shot like whatever wannabe rivals like i mean right. that's going to be the name of our show this week I'm also c- contemplating trying to figure out how to put that on a T-shirt because I just think that's genius. Like, if the Thai Cats aren't going to do it, like sell a bunch of wannabe rival shirts officially made for the team store. Like, I'm giving you guys a free, a free idea here. Make them and sell them in the lead up to Labor Day. Like they will sell like, they'll, exactly. They'll sell like hotcakes. And the yeah, wannabe, like unlike the Oski Woo Woo thing, which had like a short shelf life because Flair was only here that one time. The wannabe rivals thing, you can run that for the next hundred years. Like. I, I look, he, he is what he is. He's, he's, I don't know. I just, he's just a fan now with like bad opinions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what he's like us. He's like yeah. us. Yeah. He's some yeah. guy who doesn't have any information, any or sort of inside information. He just shoots his mouth yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's he, like you said, he's a clown and, uh, you know, I'm not even sure he knows what he's saying half the time. No, and it comes off as just, like, verbal diarrhea. And it's, like, it's fine. Like, it's – now that he's not an owner, it's, like, not harmful in any way. Like, it can't come back on his team or what have you. But it's just, like, if you're going to say something like that, give me a follow-up on why. Like, that's all I – like, when when you're called out on something, I would like to know the reason why you think that. Because if he's, like, hey, this is my reasoning for it, oh, okay. Like, I might not agree with it, but at least it's something. It just comes off as a – silly and to be like want to be rivals and then be like but i love caretaker bob it's like what like he's just kind of all over the place yes he's a very very strange person yeah all right uh i guess we got to pull the bandit off here we're going to speak of want to be rivals and uh the want to be rivals fell again losing that's us the tie cats losing to the toronto argonauts by a score of 32 14 on sunday night tie cats are now 0 and 2 for the third straight season not a lot of good things to talk about in this one. Mike, where do you want to start? I think we should start with the starting quarterback we brought in in the offseason, Bo Levi Mitchell. You know, he, in that first half, there were some promising drives. He was moving the ball. Duke Williams looked good. Everything was cooking, you know. Uh, even the run game, they were handing the ball off quite a bit early on. They get down to the red zone, and they throw interceptions, or Bo throws interceptions, bonehead interceptions, two really Terrible decisions from Bo. What is going on with him? Which one do you think was worse, the first one or the second one? I'm going with the second one because I just think that a veteran, you know, you could tell that the safety, I think they were playing a cover two, so the safety was going to be dropping off, protecting that deep zone where he was throwing it. There was three Toronto Argonauts in the area 
um, a veteran quarterback doesn't make that throw. So I think it was the second one. You know, the first one was bad as well. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like he was a little bit rushed and just made a rush decision. The second one, um, I don't know. I just don't have a defense for that. Maybe he felt the pressure um, off the left side because there was a guy coming in from behind him. But you just can't make that throw. Yeah, to me, the first one was a bigger brain fart than the second one. The second one was just a missed throw. Like, I don't know if he read the defense wrong. Like you said, they looked like they were in cover two. He, there was pressure about to get to him. He just, he didn't throw it to the spot that it needed to go. Like, I think if he got more on it and, cause I think it was, he was throwing to Ternowski. If Ternowski keeps running straight and Bo can hit him in the corner of the end zone, like it's a long throw, but it would have been successful. He just, he threw it to the wrong spot. The first one to me was just, I think it was more miscommunication. If you go back and watch the play, it looks like they're running some sort of not, it's not a screenplay, but it's definitely something that was meant to go short. And you see Duke, he's kind of like fake blocking in the end zone. And then when the play kind of breaks down, I don't know if Duke just didn't hear like the fire, fire, fire call, which you hear sometimes when plays break down and that's gives uh, the receivers, the, the clue to go just like go deeper or find the hole in the zone. And he just throws it up. And again, it, the first one reminded me a lot of the the pick in Winnipeg, the first, where it's just like, throw the ball away. Like he took off at least six points off the, came off the board. Now, obviously they, they lost by much more than that, but you, you, those two interceptions led, I believe almost directly to Toronto touchdown. So you're giving the other team momentum. If you're kicking a field goal, it's not ideal, but it's certainly better than giving up the interceptions. I, I just don't know what he's thinking on those plays. He's got now one interception or, or one touchdown pass and four interceptions on the season. If we were, if this was the quarterback play we were going to get, why didn't we just keep Dane Evans is the way I'm thinking right now. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, obviously the fumbles aren't there, but that was a product of the offensive line. I think getting pressure on Dane last season. You're right, man. I mean, we brought in a guy to be better than Dane, and so far he hasn't been. He's He's been good between the 20s, but once he gets into the red zone, it seems that uh, everything falls apart and he makes mistakes. So it's just, it's very frustrating. I know it's only two games in, but now it looks like he might be injured. Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit worried about this team. They're just not looking very good right now. Um, lots of time left, obviously, but these first two games are, are not a good indication. No, and if you go back in our archives, I don't remember when I said it, but I said it this season before the season started. I said, I thought this team would struggle to start the year. I thought, you know, a one and three type start, two and two at best. I mean, two and two now is the best they can do, but I thought two and two at best but a one and three start was a legitimate possibility just given all the changes they made to the roster. You don't turn over half of your starting roster and just start like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers do where you're just running rough shot over everyone, especially offensively. You know what I mean? Like I do feel as if this team's going to take time to gel. And I think if they got a couple big games coming up and, and we're in June, there's no such thing as a must win game in June. I mean, just go look at the tie cats last year. We've, and we come out of labor day, getting our asses handed to us yep. and we're three and nine and the season is over. And then they piece together, run, make the playoffs. So you want to stack wins at any time. Like I don't, I don't never believe in the old adage of the season doesn't start until labor day. And I understand that for the tie cats, it kind of did last year, but they were playing the Hamilton was playing playoff football for, a month and a half, two months almost 
before they actually made the playoffs. You can't have that. The teams wear down if, if you're playing those those high intensity games so so frequently. You want to get wins, but I did feel as if this team would struggle to start the season, and that's exactly what's happened. I don't think necessarily last night the Argos played that great a game, to be perfectly honest with you. I know we're get, we're hearing a lot of Chad Kelly hype. You look at the numbers, and yeah, okay, he rushed for three touchdowns, but two of them were one-yard plunges, and he he threw for, I think, under 230 yards. And like I don't think that the Argos didn't look like world beaters last night. They did enough to get the win, but there was a giant lull for them in this in the third quarter where like that third quarter of this game was maybe one of the worst third quarters I've seen in a CFL game in quite some time. Like neither team did much of anything. It was boring. It was punt after punt after punt. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Thai Cats are are in a good position. I thought that they came out flat in this one. I'm sure you agree with that assessment as well. I thought that they would use how the game ended against Winnipeg as a way to buttress themselves coming into this game and, and really kind of rally around that and start hot. They didn't. They came out in the second half, down a bunch of points, didn't start well there either. There, It seems to me that there's a lack of fire with this team right now. And it starts with the mistakes that they're making, but they take undisciplined penalties. Like there's just, there's not a lot right with this team right now, but it's also to me, not entirely unexpected. They got Montreal. We'll talk about the Montreal game way later in the show, but they got the Alouettes coming in here, whether Bo starts or not based on the injury, we'll have to wait and see. I think we're leaning towards Schilt starting, but that's, that's just my opinion based on what we saw last night. Yeah. I, if they if they, if they if it's another performance like this against Montreal, then I might start to get a little concerned. But again, like I said, I did anticipate this kind of slow start, so I'm not I'm not ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not ready to jump off the cliff yet. Still ten but toes down. Ten toes ten, down. I am still ten toes down, but those toes might not be as firmly down as they yes. were. But again, like I said, I like look. You what did you have them? Twelve and six to start the year. That's what you thought they'd finish. I yep. think I had them at eleven and seven. Mm. Oh. They're going to lose games and losing to the last two teams that played in the championship game is not to me. It's not cause for it tells me they're not at their level yet, but that doesn't mean they can't get there by the end of the season. So for everyone that's like frantically fire this guy, cut this guy, bench this guy, take it a little easier. Let's see what they do on Friday and we'll go from there. But we still have some stuff to talk about from this one because it, it was ugly and there's still some things to I just want to I just want everyone to start the show getting. Like the blood pressure's got to come down. I don't think it's the end of the world after starting 0 2 because, quite frankly, in 2021, they started 0 2 and they made the Great Cup. So yeah. we know that this team this can start team poorly. And, and it's just, it's just, just the way they, it is. Yep. Um, okay. The offensive line, obviously, we had some problems along there. The injury woes have hit us. Uh, one of the deepest position groups coming into the season is pretty slim right now. Wood Manzi went down during this game, which means. Dayton Black had to slide into the offensive line. A rookie, a first-round draft pick for the Ticats. Kemp got the start at right tackle. How do you think the offensive line performed in this one? Not not great. I don't think they yeah. were great. I don't think that the, either quarterback had a ton of time. They didn't open very many rush lanes. Like James Butler had 16 carries, I think it was, for – I think he had under 60 yards. He was he was in tough to find some open holes to, to make some plays there. And – it was a lot of three-yard, four-yard runs for him on Sunday. I think Joel Figueroa has been a disappointment. And I, I got to ask, why do we only dress six offensive linemen? This is the second week in a row that Casey Sales has had to go in there on the offensive line. And he does a 
like he was in there for the for the touchdown drive where where uh, I think it was Butler scored on the touchdown run. So he he's a competent enough player, but you don't want to have to be relying on one of your starting defensive tackles to have to go in there. Why are they not dressing seven offensive linemen? It's now bit them in the ass in two consecutive weeks. If the depth chart comes out on Thursday for Friday's game and it's again, and I know obviously injuries would Manzi's out, Saxlitz out, Riley's out, Fontana's out. Like it definitely, there's there's been a pile up of of injuries. Like I mean, Van Zyl's out. Like that's a that's a starting unit right there that they have on the injured list. But you got to find a way to get more offensive linemen on the roster, I think, because this is this has now happened two weeks in a row, and it's it's hurt them. It's it's quite frankly, it's just hurt them. Absolutely. I, I was listening to the uh, pregame show, and and they said they mentioned that you know if someone goes down, Dayton Black's gonna have to slide in, and I was like, yeah, that's not good. Like, and you knew it was gonna happen, and it did fairly early on. Like, offensive linemen are gonna get nicked up during games. It's pr- you're probably gonna get at least one a game. Uh, hopefully Wood Manzi isn't injured very long and can can come back quickly because, like you said, the the O line injuries are piling up and it's we need them if we're gonna have Bo Levi Mitchell back there because he's not very mobile he doesn't move very well in the pocket anymore we need the protection for him and it's it's uh, it's all falling apart right now. Yeah, and I don't, but I don't think Dayton Black played poorly. Like I don't oh, think he no. was. I, I think. You don't want to, yeah. You don't want to have to thrust your first round pick, who's coming off an injury and and missed most of training camp, into the into the mix that early. But I thought he held his own perfectly fine. It's look, it, it's a one area of the team that really needs to get healthy, and they just they aren't right now, and they also are just underperforming. But I think a lot of that goes to some of the guys that they're paying a lot of money to, Joel Figueroa in particular. I just I don't think he's had a good start to the season and. You bring a guy in like that to solidify that position that we've been complaining about, that we've been worried about for years on end now, and it looks just as vulnerable as it did when they weren't paying someone $200,000 to man the position. So, look, this team is not playing good football right now, and a lot of people got to gotta step up and, and get better, and the guys in the offensive line are part of that as well. Now, obviously, we're frustrated. The fans are frustrated, but... The team is frustrated as well, the most out of out of anybody. And we saw that with uh, Tim White and the Turnowski dust up. Now, from what I gathered was they were throwing a screen pass to White. Turnowski completely whiffed on his block and got Tim White lit up. Tim White was not very happy about this, kind of threw a punch in his direction. Did the same thing to Condre Smith when he was trying to calm him down. What do you make of this? Is this... Uh, is this a problem? You know, or, uh, is the frustration boiling over already? Well, I think that's exactly what it was. And I think with White in particular, he's not had a good start to the season. He was not good against the Argos last night. Like, he he played pretty poorly, to be quite honest. Like, if not for the one big pass late in the game, his numbers would have been extremely pedestrian. And I think that the pressure of being the guy now with the with the contract that makes you the man – Maybe maybe it's getting to him a little bit. I, I think it was just an overall airing of frustration. I don't think there's anything to it. I never see these guys at practice. Like, there was no dust-ups in training camp. The, the, I think it was just in the heat of the battle. He, yeah. he was frustrated in how he was playing, and he found an outlet to take it out. And to be honest with him, to be honest with you, I don't blame him. He, no. he got hit hard when he shouldn't have. Someone didn't Genesis make a play, like, and he, he got mad about it. I get it. Yeah, Ternowski didn't even look like he knew what play was being called because there wasn't even really an attempt to throw a block. So he got ear-holed, and I, I understand in the moment 
you know, right after being hit like that, you're going to get frustrated. Yeah, because uh, it, it, cause here's yeah. well, here's the thing. Go back. So Ternowski catches had a really nice touchdown catch late in the game. Didn't ma- yep. didn't mean uh, a damn thing, but he had it. And if you go back and watch the replay, the first guy that goes in and congratulates him is Tim White. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things. You play football. You get into mix-ups with your teammates, especially when things aren't going your way. It's usually water under the bridge pretty quickly. I don't think this is something that we have to worry about long term. No. Now I saw Condell getting some slack online oh, again uh, as the uh, as the uh, whipping boy that he is. Personally, I didn't see that at all. Um, this is not a Tommy Condell problem. This is a turnover problem from Bo, and uh, you know the players on the field just not executing, in my opinion. Do you feel like Tommy Condell deserves the slack that he's getting? The only, the one area where I will accept criticism from last night was the predictability of the play calls. Sitting in the stands at BMO Field, and I did take the trek down to BMO to watch the game with a friend of mine. Sitting in the stands, we were sitting there, we we're going, okay, it's first and 10 from the 35. This is going to be a three-yard run. Boom, it's a three-yard run. They ran, they they burned first downs on the, and, and, and the thing is, we're kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouths because we wanted the team to use the run game, utilize the run game, utilize James Butler more. But if it's not working, you have to make adjustments. So if the predictability and the lack of adjustments from the Ticats offense, I think is a fair criticism of Condell. But all in all, this is an execution problem. He's not the one telling Bo to throw into double coverage. He's not the one telling Bo, hey, man, just toss it up in the end zone when no one's there. And hope, you know what I mean? Like, He's not the one not opening holes for the running back. He's not the one missing blocks. It's he's he's a part of the blame because when the when a team like this fails in, in this manner, everyone deserves part of the blame. But it's not solely on him. I don't think a change in offensive coordinator is going to make it like everyone wants to fire him and replace with Scott Milanovic. I got news for you, folks. Scott Milanovic is basically a part-time employee. Have you did you see Scott Milanovic on the sidelines? The offense isn't working, and he's not here. He only he's he's not here full time, and I think that's something that's been underreported. But he was here for a, a bunch of training camp, and then he wasn't here for about the last week or so. And I don't recall seeing him here since. So he's only here on kind of a part time basis. Probably part of the way reason they could afford to bring him in and not go over that stupid football ops cap is that they they only have him on a on, they they are paying him less money because they only have him here half the time or or two thirds of the time or whatever. But it's it's not as simple as just turf from the offensive coordinator and these things are going to get fixed. The offense, the offensive system is not great, but the offensive system is not telling these guys to make these mistakes. So I, he's he's just easy to pile onto. It's like both throws a pick, it's Tommy's fault. You know, Tim White drops a pass, it's Tommy's fault. The offensive line doesn't open a hole, it's Tommy's fault. My wife left me because I keep complaining about Tom, Tommy Condell, it's Tommy's fault. Like it's just constant. He's he's the guy that because they don't want to blame Orlando, even though he's the guy that keeps Condell around. And I think some of the attitudinal problems could be a direct reflection of. And you and I talked about this months ago when Marcel Belfay was here and he was happy go lucky, clapping his hands, stoic persona. It got tiring. People were like, show some fire. Orlando doesn't show any fire, but yet he's kind of immune from criticism. Look, this team is not playing performing well right now. They are a bad football team at the current juncture that we're at. So everyone's going to take heat. But to think that this whole thing is Tommy Condell's fault and that getting rid of him is the magical solution to me, that, that that's just, that's lazy thinking on, on their part. Now to finish off on the offense on a little bit of a positive note, Duke Williams, 
had a pretty decent game, over 100 yards receiving. He was basically the only bright spot on the offensive side of the ball. Um, what do you think of, of his performance? Pretty good, no? No, I thought he was great. He looked a lot more like Edmonton Duke than Saskatchewan Duke. Uh, we talk, we talk about guys getting into it and everything. I mean, the one thing that we wanted to, we were curious about when they signed him was, could he keep his, his emotions in check, especially if things weren't going well, things aren't going well. And he hasn't been a problem whatsoever. I I thought he was excellent in this one. I think he was used effectively. He was making those, those big catches that he makes across the middle, taking some big hits, but holding onto the ball. If not for him, this game would have been a lot uglier, quite frankly. He was by far the best player on the offensive side of the football. And, uh, I think if they continue to use him in this type of way going forward, I think he'll continue to be that. I think he's got – he might lead the team in in receiving yards simply because he's the more reliable of all the targets right now. So, no, definitely got to give your flowers to Duke. He was great. Uh, the defensive side of the ball, that D-line, <clears throat> not getting a ton of pressure like still. And I know you don't have Dylan Wynn. There's some injuries along that line. Are you concerned – uh, I mean, yes What'd and you no. What do you think Davis? I know that uh, you haven't been impressed with him early on. this one either. No, I thought he got cooked pretty bad by Chad Kelly on that touchdown run by him. He absolutely did. And he, it seems that there's time and time again, he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he seems lost out there. He looked lost on a, uh, against Winnipeg and looked lost again. And he did. He got absolutely juked out of his shorts by, by Chad Kelly. Like, Look, Chad Kelly is, is he's an athletic player. He's a, he's a decent player. He's not prime Michael Vick. He's not prime Doug Flutie. Like he shouldn't be juking you out of your underwear like that. Like pop him in the mouth and take him down. I, I, it's yeah, I've not been impressed with him at all. Malik Carney, I, I think has been good. Uh, I think Teddy might be the best defensive lineman they've had this season. I think he's had he's had a couple decent games. But all in all, it's been a it's been a pretty unimpressive performance from the look, the two units that we were most excited about and the ones that we thought, oh, this team has finally got it right were the two lines. And they've both been severely underwhelming these two weeks. And that's probably a big reason why they're owned too. Yeah, when the defensive line that you paid so much for isn't getting any pressure, it kinda hangs your secondary out to dry. Um, especially in that first half, you know, the Argonauts moved the ball pretty well. Uh, the D played better in the second half, especially the run defense. They really shut it down, um, and and they shut down Chad Kelly as well. He did not look like the same quarterback in the third and fourth quarter as he did in the first half. No, and the thing with the defensive line is that defensive backfield be, is young. Like they started two rookies there, and uh, I think his name's Demonte Coxie was the receiver for the Argos. Was lined up against uh, Dexter Lawson Jr. a lot and cooked him like like. Coxie, Coxie, Coxie. I'm not actually sure how you pronounce his name. Uh, he was great for the Argos. So, but the thing is, is that they invested in the defensive line, didn't invest in the defensive backfield because it's like if we get a bunch of pressure, these guys won't have to cover for so long. But if the defensive line's not doing their job, it's, it's, it's not that that system's not going to work if the D line can't get pressure and force errant throws, force quick throws, force throws where they, they don't want to go. Because the def- the defensive backfield is so inexperienced, especially at the corner spots, you're going to get cooked a lot, and that's what happened. But you're right; they were it was improved in the second half. Like I said, that third quarter was was pretty dull, but it was it was some pretty good defense by the Ticats in that one. But yeah, works to be done on that side of the ball as well. Uh, Gallimore filled in for Woods this week, returning kicks. 
I thought he he played spectacularly. I mean, the, there wasn't a huge return, but every single return it seemed was was brought out to at least the 40-yard line. Yeah, he definitely was a net positive when it came to field position for sure. Uh, there was a couple of gaffes, like he he stepped out of bounds too too quickly on a, a punt return that was really deep in the Ticats area. He slipped, I think, one time. But all in all, I, I thought he played really good. Special teams-wise, you know who I thought really stood out was uh, Flowers Lloyd. He mm-hmm. led the team in special teams tackles. He seemed to always be around the ball. He's the guy that had the punt block a week ago. For a young American player who's who's not going to get a lot of opportunities on defense, he's kind of that hybrid. He's really a Sam linebacker type because he's he's a bit big. I think he's like 6'2", 205, 210, something like that. So he's a little too big to play DB in this league, but he's perfectly suited for that Sam linebacker position. But as long as Chris Edwards is here, he's not going to get a chance to do anything on defense. But special teams, I, I thought he's been one of the best special teams players in the league so far this year as a cover man. He's become one of the best cover players in the league in, in a really short amount of time. I was really impressed with him as well. Now, still uh, keeping on the special teams, Legio obviously was a late addition to this team since Sesmall has once again left the squad. Um, not sure why that's happened, but uh, I hope everything's okay with him. Uh, Legio came in. He didn't kick a field goal. He didn't kick an extra point, so there's not much we can really say about him, is there? No, you can't judge him at all. His kickoffs were fine. Like, I don't think... Anything in that department was was bad. The punting was was good. I, he didn't punt. Obviously, Bailey Flint was a punter, but the punting was fine. Like, yeah, I, I mean, we're we're kind of grasping at straws if we're talking about a kicker who kicked for nothing. Do you want to just yeah. put an end to this then, and we'll move on? Yeah, let's uh, let's move on from this. Yeah, disaster. so you, yeah, it's uh, let's put it behind us. Uh, as, as Bill Belichick once famously said, well, I'll paraphrase. We're on to Montreal. Uh, it was a busy week, though, for the Ticats. You mentioned the Legio move. We'll get to that in a second. They, the Ticats did make a ton of roster moves, all of which I covered over on Patreon throughout the week. But we're going to talk about it here again because Mike never got a chance to give his two cents on this. We'll kind of go in chronological order here, and we're going to start with the most surprising one, which was Tuesday's release of Canadian defensive lineman Kwaku Boateng. The Ticats also released American defensive lineman Niles Pinckney and signed a pair of Americans in defensive lineman Gerard Hewitt and running back slash receiver Tyreek McAllister. Not a ton to say about those moves. Pinkney was a a practice roster guy in his first year with the team, and the other two guys are on the practice roster and didn't play, so there's not really much there. So we're going to obviously focus on Boateng. He was signed by the Ticats in free agency in February to much fanfare. You and I were both ecstatic when he was joining the team. You can go back into our archives and listen to our feelings on that move when it happened, but we were both very big proponents of the team making that move. We knew he was coming off that torn Achilles that he suffered last year when he signed with Ottawa. We knew he might not be ready for the start of the season. When I attended training camp and we started doing those training camp updates, it became even clearer that he wouldn't be out there to start the year. He didn't even have a helmet on for most of the training camp session. So it felt like it was a, they were bringing him back slowly. And then they release him before he ever gets a chance to play a game. So like, what were your initial thoughts, Mike, when you heard the news that the team had parted ways with Boateng? Were you surprised? Were you shocked? Were you, did it make sense to you? What was just sort of your your first thoughts when I think I think you didn't find out until I texted you that morning. So what was what was going through your mind when you when you read that for the first time? I was surprised because, like you said, we had such high expectations for him coming into the season. Obviously, his knee injury isn't um, healing as fast as the team would like. And then maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because they did make that trade for Jonathan Kongbo. He comes in along the defensive line, another Canadian guy. So uh, maybe I shouldn't have been shocked because he can he he's healthy and he can play right now. So it's unfortunate that 
I didn't work out for Boateng in Hamilton because I feel like he is a tremendous player when healthy, but to get a guy like Kongbo, bring him in, there just wasn't enough room anymore. Yeah, so that's where I was going to go next, because just ahead of week one, they did bring in Jonathan Kongbo. They got him in a trade with BC. He was obviously not available when they signed Boateng. He was, I believe, still a member of the Denver Broncos. He had, I don't think he'd been let out of his NFL contract yet. So, Or even if he had, there was probably he was probably still trying to land another NFL deal. You know what I mean? So he's healthy. He's played in both games so far this year. Do you think that that move was the reason that they were comfortable in getting rid of Boateng just because – they had already kind of replaced him, like for it's a Canadian pass rusher, a young Canadian pass rusher, and someone not coming off an injury. It makes sense to me. I guess it makes sense to you as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the the Congo thing kind of just fell into their lap. I don't think it was a long-term idea from them to get rid of Boateng. I think that this guy came available and uh, they had to grab him. Do you also think that when a player of this caliber gets released, usually it's not long, even if injured? Like, look at Braylon Addison, for instance. Ticats released Braylon Addison. They know that he, we know he's not going to play. He's, he's still coming back from that. Uh, his was an Achilles as well. Still coming back from that injury. No, he's not going to play to start the season. What was it? Two days later, day and a half later, the Red Blacks scoop him up. Does the fact that Boateng hasn't been picked up, does that tell you that maybe he's let even further along in his, even though he got hurt much earlier than, than, than uh, Addison did, that he might be further away from actually getting on the field. Cause you would think a player of that caliber, Canadian pass rusher guy who, when he's healthy can be a starter for you. Hasn't been picked up yet. Does that kind of give you an idea that maybe he's a little further away from returning to the field than we thought? Yeah, absolutely. Cause if this guy was going to be ready, you know, in the next, someone would have scooped him up. Right. Right. Most likely Ottawa. Um, <laughs> yeah. Even though, you know, he's not a Sean Burke guy necessarily, but you know how it is. Well, he signed in Ottawa last year, so Burke must have liked him somewhat to bring him in there. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. So, um, yeah, I think the injury is probably, he's probably long off from being 100% and and able to play again. So I think that's the reason why he's not um, signed right now in the league. Because if he was, I mean, like you said, he's a Canadian defensive end. He was a... He was an impact player in Edmonton for like four years, so he would have been picked up if there was any sense that he'd be back on the field in the next couple of weeks. So the Ticats made more roster moves throughout the week. They brought back receiver jean Vey Johnson, who was with the team in training camp. They released Canadian fullback Miles Manalo and suspended 2023 draft pick Reese Martin. I have not been able to confirm this still, but I think Martin was suspended so that he can go back to school. He's uh, he's He played at Mount Allison. I think he's still got a year of eligibility. We've seen this with other players. It's, so this, to me, is not a suspension because he's if there's any disciplinary issues or he tested positive or anything like that. I think it's just simply... They put him on the suspended list because then they don't pay him, but they still retain his rights instead of outright releasing him. And then he can sign with whomever they want. So I think that's what the case of that is. So we can put any sort of speculation that to rest. Although that's just informed speculation on my my part. I don't know anything yet, but that's the feel I get based on what usually happens with these guys. But it was the moves on Saturday when the depth chart for this week was released that really shocked many Ticam fans. And I'll include myself in this because I didn't see any of these coming. They signed Mark Leggio, which we talked about earlier, and placed Seth Small on the suspended list. You mentioned there, there's not much to talk about with Leggio. He was a kicker for Sunday's game against the Argos, but did nothing. No field goal attempts, no extra points. He's just basically there. There's been some speculation surrounding why Seth Small might have been suspended. I don't want to get into that because I think that, that it, it could technically be personal stuff. We don't know for sure. I don't want to be, you know, spreading rumors or anything like that. 
So without getting into any of the the speculation that I'm sure you've also seen online, were you given that Small is is going to be away from the team for a period of time? They needed a kicker. Are you happy that they brought in Legio, or would you have liked them to have gone after somebody else? Now was Legio the kicker that uh, the Bombers fans hated? Was yeah. he the guy? Was, was he's the, the guy that got the field goal blocked in the Grey Cup. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. He wasn't great. Uh, he was kind of the whipping boy. In can, I, can I can I can I can I pause you for a second? Because you know yeah. who else was a whipping boy in Winnipeg for a long time was Liram Hirolahu. Yeah, that's true. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he start, and like it, it kind, him and Lego kind, both Western guys kind of had the same trajectory. They start off pretty hot. They have some struggles. Winnipeg lets them go. Hirolahu goes to Toronto, wins a Grey Cup, then comes to Hamilton, has. His first year here wasn't great, but then turned it. Now he's bouncing around the NFL, trying to make the NFL his his dream. Maybe sometimes guys just need to change the scenery. You know what I mean? Like maybe it was just so negative there. They had how many times that they tried to replace him? Like they bring in, I think they brought in Sergio Castillo now twice to take his job. Maybe it's just a change of scenery. But anyway, I just wanted to get that out there because I think some people have been really down on this move because of his tenure in Winnipeg. But it just it reminded me of Liram a little bit, and I just wanted to. Just want to get that point out there. But anyway, my apologies for interrupting your, your thought there, buddy. No worries. No worries. Uh, yeah, I played in 32 games with two seasons with the Bombers, converting 37 to 47 field goal attempts for 78.7%. Um, listen, I, I, I'm i sure there's not a ton of uh, veteran kickers on the market right now. So bringing a guy that has some experience is, isn't a terrible thing. I, obviously, I'd rather have... Seth Small back there, but um, I'll wait to, uh, you know, crap on him, uh, you know, until he starts performing badly for the Tiger Cats. Uh, like you said, let's not, let's not jump all over him before he kicks his first field goal with the Tiger Cats. Yeah, like I said, a change of scenery could be good for him. Uh, you, you never know. What, it happens in this league all the time when a guy doesn't look like he's going to have it in one locale, goes somewhere else. And and becomes an all star. And I'm not saying Leggy will be an all star, but maybe just a different voice. He's away from the pressure of Winnipeg of all of all like the negative stuff that happened there. Maybe he'll uh, he'll come here and he'll he'll do some good things while while he's with the team replacing Seth Small. And regardless of what's happening with Seth Small, I hope if it if it is personal, if it's not personal, if it's something else, I hope it gets settled quickly and he can come back to the team because he is a very valuable member of the organization. And I think the team is better with him as the kicker than without him there. Uh, okay, that's it for Ticat stuff today. We're going to have some fun here. We're going to get into some CFL news. And Mike, we're going to talk about one of your favorite topics. That's right. We're talking expansion again. Commissioner Randy Ambrosi was on TSN 1200 in Ottawa and said the following. We are resolute in our focus of getting to a 10th team. You can't get to 12 until you get to 10. Expansion is definitely a priority for us. Mike, your thoughts. That's all well and good in theory. And, you know, I don't have a problem with them talking about expansion. If there's actually, um, you know, they, they said that there's a potential owner in the Maritimes that came out of the Montreal sale. Uh, he better not be lying about that. Like if there's actual guys or, you know, if there's an actual group that is interested in putting the money down and making this thing happen, then that's great. I would love Nothing else more than there to be a CFL team in the Maritimes or in Quebec City or whatever. 
but let's just make it happen. Like let's let's stop talking about it and let's make it happen. That's my only thing. I just I don't want to keep hearing about it if this isn't going to you know come through. That's that's my thing. Okay. Are you? I, I was going to ask you if you're sitting down, but of course you're sitting down. We we don't stand up and record this show. <laughs> no. So the audaciousness of this comment aside, like the the twelve team thing, I got to be honest, it kind of got my juices flowing a little bit. And I got to give a shout out to Tycat Matt on Twitter. He provided sort of the inspiration for this. But I did sit down last week and I came up with, with what I think is the perfect 12-team CFL. Mike, bear with me here. This is going to be a little bit of a long diatribe here. But I want, I want to lay this out for you and then I want to get your thoughts on my proposal. So let's just agree that Halifax is the location of the 12th team. We're not going to argue about that. We're not going to debate that. That is where the 10th team will be. So now we need to find two more locations, which is not easy. One no-brainer, I think, is Quebec City. So let's we'll say Quebec City, that's team number 11. Now the question becomes, where do you put team 12? Because the idea is, if you want, you want to, you can't have one division have more teams than the other. I know we have that currently now, but if you're going to go with a an even number of teams, the whole point is to have an even number of, like, the divisions will have an even number of teams in them. So if you want to balance two six-team divisions, that means you have to put a team west of Winnipeg Saskatoon, Victoria are really your only options. And I don't think that they are really, I think, I don't think anyone in Regina is clamoring for a second team. And I don't think a Saskatoon team would really siphon off a lot of riders fandom. I think that they're much like the Maple Leafs in Toronto. That's, that's a one team town. Victoria, I just think is too close to Vancouver. And I just don't know if like Vancouver has had their issues. The Lions have had their issues with attendance. I just don't know if a second team there is really an option. So instead of a two-team, six-division CFL, what about a three-division, four-team CFL? So what about putting that 12th team somewhere in Ontario, like Windsor or London or Kitchener-Waterloo? To me, the exact location doesn't matter because to me, wherever you put it, you just kind of brand it as Southwest Ontario's team, and then you kind of make that a regionalized team and you pull from the region. So here's my proposal for the divisions. And then I'll pause and get and get your thoughts on that. You have one division, which is BC, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan. You have a second division of Winnipeg, Hamilton, Toronto, and then whatever that other Ontario city is, let's say for a sake of argument, we'll say Windsor right now. And then that third division, Ottawa, Montreal, Quebec City, Halifax. So Mike, what do you think instead of two six-team divisions, we go three four team divisions does that seem like a better setup to you based on where we would have to find the location for that 12 team yeah that sounds pretty good to me and i like the idea of that uh, that third division you mentioned uh the maritimes and quebec division um i think you could build some really good rivalries there and obviously you have the the existing rivalries um now would you take would it be uh i'm i'm not sure if you're going to get to this but would it be the top two teams out of each division Oh, we'll get, I, I got the playoff form. That was the okay. hardest part to me was the playoff format. We'll get to that in a second. But so far, so far, I like it. The, the only pratfall that I had here was splitting up Saskatchewan and Winnipeg because you do want those teams. That's your classic Labor Day weekend matchup, but you can still have that. And I think them not being in the same division might actually make that rivalry more fierce because you won't see them as often. You know what I mean? But you have to make sure that Winnipeg and Saskatchewan play every year so that gets us to the schedule because 
most people, they want a balanced schedule. And I understand that because in a 12-team, three-division leagues with 18 games, this is something you have to change. 18 games, you simply cannot play every team twice. That's a that's a 22-game schedule, and I think that that's just too many. So I have cut the schedule to 17 games. And this will make sense in conjunction with the playoffs, why I think owners will go for this. So you play everyone, every team in your division three times, and then you set up the other eight games as four home games and four away games from the teams in the other divisions. So let's say, for instance, we're talking about the Ticats and the Stampeders. The Stampeders are in the West. The Ticats are in what we'll call the East, and then the other division we'll call the Atlantic, I guess. So the Ticats and the Stamps, let's say they're, they're playing Calgary hosts Hamilton in 2027. Following year, 2028, that game's in Hamilton. So you know that you'll never go more than one season without seeing a team. Um, I know that that's not a perfect schedule, but I think it makes it the most fair and the most balanced without having too many games. Because if you did the schedule that everyone always wants, which eliminates the need for divisions altogether, oh, everyone's got to play everyone twice. Well, then a divisions are pointless, as I said. And then your season would be counting the playoffs and bye weeks. Are we, wait, I can't remember. Who, no, anyway, it's like a 28. It's you count. Yeah, you count the playoffs and, and bye weeks. You're looking at 28 weeks of just the regular season. And then when you add in playoffs, you're looking at like 30 weeks for a season. And I think that that's just too long. Like, for instance, if the CFL this season had 12 teams and it was a 30-week season, including the playoffs in the preseason, with the Grey Cup, I've, I've penciled in the Grey Cup as the final Sunday in November. The regular season would have started on May 14th. The preseason would have started on April 30th. And training camps would have started the week of April the 9th. To me, that's just not feasible. Like, the, CF, the NFL draft hasn't taken place by April 9th. The CFL draft has always got to be after the NFL draft. I just don't think that... Uh, a schedule where everyone plays everyone twice makes sense if you go to 12 teams. So my schedule proposal of a 17 game schedule with it mapped out. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's pretty good as well. Um, you know, you, you want to see your rivals a lot. Like you said, you play what the it's three times in the same division. Yeah. And that way you don't have to worry about total points. Every team right. in the division plays every team the same amount of times. Yes, you'll play, you don't go home and home or anything like that, but you do see every team in your division the same amount of times. And it's, and it's head to head. I mean, I'm sure there, I know there can be ties and everything, but it's head to head who, who wins the most games gets, it's an easier tie breaking scenario than I think we have right now. And I've been a proponent of shortening the season for, for many years now. I think that having 18 games in a nine team league is kind of silly. Um, So yeah, like uh, the, a 30-week season would be outrageous. Yeah. So to get to get the uh, down to 17 games, I think to take away one game at least from the regular season is a good idea. And here's why I think owners with my proposal would accept one less regular season game because for the playoffs we're going to have seven teams, and I basically just stolen the NFL's playoff model here. The top team in each division we get a home playoff game. The team with the best record out of the three divisions gets a first round bye, and the other four teams that make the playoffs would be the four teams with the four next best records, regardless of divisions. So you still have divisions matter because you guarantee each division winner a playoff spot and a home playoff game. But after that, it's what every fan has been clamoring for when it's like, well, the fifth place team in the West is 
better than the third or second place team in the East. They should make the playoffs. Well, now you're basically going to get that. So in this hypo- these hypothetical divisions, we'll go with Winni- or, uh, we'll say BC, Winnipeg, and Montreal are your three division winners. They're guaranteed. If Ottawa, Quebec, Halifax, and Toronto are your next four and only BC makes it from the West, so be it. You know what I mean? Like, so it gives every team in every division, like you don't finish in fourth place in your division, you're guaranteed to miss the playoffs. You can make the playoffs. So some years I'm sure that there will be, you know, the the quote unquote eighth seed will have a better record than a, than a division winner. But I think that'll happen a lot less given the, the way that the I'll, I'll work the schedule. And because you add the seventh team, you're adding another week of playoff games. So you have three playoff games the first week. You have a second week of playoffs where it's your your semifinals. And you're you're adding an extra playoff game, which is where you so and playoff games attract more eyeballs on TV, it can attract higher ticket prices from from the buying public. I think that that's where you make up for the lot. Like you go from from an 18 game schedule to a 17 game one, but you add that extra playoff game. Well, now all of a sudden more people are inclined to to be interested in your product. So recapping here just quickly, four team divisions, 17 game schedule, seven playoff teams, expansion teams in Halifax, Quebec City. And like I said, for the sake of argument, we'll go with Windsor. I know that I put way too much thought into this because it's something that will never happen, but I just had to do it. So now that you've had the whole thing laid out for 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 you there, Mike, should I just be the commissioner of the CFL and make this happen? Yeah, I, I totally. I mean, it can be any worse than what we have right now. Um, <laughs> but do you, but do you so, like do you like the playoff format? Because I know it's I it's seven I, of twelve teams coming in, and I understand that that's like oh well more than half. Blah blah blah. I I think it's it's a good compromise though. Well, let's look at the NBA playoffs right now. I mean, you have the play-in tournament, right? So that's what ten yep. from each division, right? So that's yep. twenty teams that like technically make the playoffs. I know it's playing tournament, it's kind of different, and there's. They only have 30 teams in the league. So yeah. 66%, a third of the right. league make, makes the quote-unquote playoffs. Yeah, and let's face it. Every league is trying to do this, make more teams make the playoffs because it equals more money. And I know people like to single out the CFL, six out of nine teams make the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. You're increasing it here to seven, um, but there's also more teams. So it's slightly over 50%, which I can deal with. So I like the seven teams making the playoffs, and I like the format as well. Well, and yeah, that's just it too. Like, I think you, the only guarantees are you win your division, which makes divisions matter. You win your division, yep. you, you make the playoffs and you host a home playoff game. So you make, but everyone else, the other four teams can come from anywhere. And so if the West is still dominant, if, if this ever comes to fruition in 50 years and the West is still kicking everyone's teeth down their throat, well, then guess what? All four teams from the West make it. And there's one less, there's one playoff spot left between the other two divisions. I think it's it's the most if you're going to do this in this hypothetical world where the CFL actually gets to 12 teams, I think this is look, I'm sure that there's things I haven't thought about because I, I I spent a, a considerable amount of time on this, but I didn't get into every single thing that could possibly have come up. So I'm sure if there's anyone out there that has any any criticisms of this plan, I'd love to hear it. And then we'll I can even see if we can tweak it from there. But I just think that given what if this is where they want to go you're not i don't think you're going to find a six team out west and you can't do seven in the east and five in the west that's just ridiculous i think this is the best way to kind of balance everything and 
and get everyone where they need to be. Unless the plan then is to just go nuts. We're not going to have divisions. It's going to be one 12 team league. But then even in that scenario, how do you, how do you divvy up a schedule? Because like I said, you cannot have a 22 game schedule. That is way too long. Yeah. And you talk about, you know, not being able to get a team at West and maybe, maybe it might work in uh, Saskatoon. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but the, the bottom line is in Canada, the population is crammed into Southern Ontario. There's a way more people in Southern Ontario than anywhere else in this country. Uh, that's where the population base is. And that's where it would make sense to put another team, even though, um, you know, they've had their rough times trying to, you know, get support for the CFL in Ontario. The population base is there and that's where they should probably go if they're going to expand to, you know, 11 or 12 teams. Because if we're being honest, we've tapped out all the major cities with the exception of Quebec City and Halifax. Like yep. outside of those and, – and they're major cities in the Canadian sense. They're not major cities in like any, almost any other country's yeah. sense. You know what I mean? Like, And that's where after, traditionally like the CFL thrives is in smaller markets, right? Like yep. Hamilton is thriving um, even though they're 0-2 right now. I get that. But the, the, the fan base is strong in Ottawa. They've been terrible for a while. The, the, the fan base is strong. Um, you know, you you talk about Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, um, and then you could talk about the BC, then their struggles in Toronto and Montreal. So I, I don't necessarily think you need to be a, a huge city, obviously, to have success in the CFL. Yeah, and I mean, the, the biggest city outside of the ones we've already talked about is Mississauga, and you're not putting a team in Mississauga. No. You know what I mean? No. Like, you're, you're because, like you said, of, of the like 90% of the population of this country is located within driving distance of the American border. That means it's, there's not a lot of big cities outside of where we've already tapped into. And even the medium sized cities, we're already tapped into those as well. If you're going to get to 12, you got to think outside the box. And that's why I did the the whole, like if you did a Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph type of, we're going to build a stadium in the middle of there and make it the, like that could work. Again, we're talking in the hypothetical situation. Like, I don't think this is ever going to come to fruition. I know, I know you don't think that as well, but in the hypothetical scenario that we're creating here, I think you got to think outside of the idea of two six team divisions. You have to look, you have to look out outside there. And I think the, 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 the three, four team divisions is the way to go simply because like you said, the population is in Southern Ontario. That's where most of the people are. There's not really a whole lot of, like I said, I don't think I just don't think Saskatoon is ravenous as they are though for football. I just don't think you're siphoning off enough rider fans. They'll still because they're that rider team is so ingrained in the community, and the community is the entire province. I just think you're in for a rough ride if you try. No pun intended. If you try to uh, put a second team there, I just don't think it'll work. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think that maybe, you know, putting more teams in Ontario, maybe it creates more interest, because, you know, outside of Hamilton and Ottawa, um, you know, Toronto, you talk about them, but we won't, um, there's not a ton of CFL interest, maybe because there's not a local team that's super close, you know, maybe someone in Kitchener doesn't affiliate himself with Hamilton or Ottawa they don't care about those cities maybe having a team there would create more interest and more rivalries within Ontario well we'll see where the league goes if they ever do get to 12 teams and uh hopefully we're still alive when it happens that's all that's all I'll say 
All right, let's move on. We're going to play a game that doesn't involve me pontificating and soliloquying fantasy CFL scenarios for 20-some-odd minutes. We're going to play a game of all in and all out. Derek Dennis announced his retirement from the CFL last week. He was released by the Calgary Stampeders during training camp and never latched on with another team. Dennis became one of the more popular CFL players due to his outspoken personality and somewhat flamboyancy, the dyed hair when he was on red hair with the stamps, green hair with the riders. People people loved Dennis, and he was he was very honest as uh, when asked questions, so that, that made him uh, pretty popular. But he was also a damn good player. He played 86 career games with the Stampeders and Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He won most outstanding offensive linemen in 2016, was a two-time CFL and four-time West Division All-Star, and won the Grey Cup with Calgary in 2018. It's an impressive resume, if I'm being honest, and he's probably a top five or at worst top 10 lineman during his era. So, Mike, given all those accolades, what Dennis accomplished during his career, are you all in or all out on Derek Dennis being a lock for the CFL Hall of Fame? I should say, sorry, the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. All out. He was a good player. He, He was shitty in Saskatchewan. He wasn't very good at all. He had his ups and downs throughout his his career. I just don't think he was the best of the best. And for that reason, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Wow. See, I'm kind of maybe I shouldn't have said lock, but I think he's going to make the Hall of Fame. I think he is. I think he will, but I don't I I don't want him. You wouldn't put him in. I I don't think I don't think he respects this league. I don't think he respects. Oh, okay. I see. I see where you're going with that. I under. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a fine player, but I don't think he was one of the best. Um, And maybe that, you know. That shouldn't factor in, um, you know, the 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 fact that he he sped it off about the league constantly on Twitter and said that the XFL was better and all that stuff. Um, that shouldn't factor into his Hall of Fame voting. Like if I had a vote, I wouldn't factor that in. But me personally, just being a selfish CFL fan, I wouldn't want him in the Hall of Fame because I don't think he respects this league and I don't think he respects the players in it. I think he, um, you know, the funniest thing about the the, the, you know, not being able to film at the draft or the uh, combine this year, the Canadian combine, there was some group that wanted to bring Dennis, Derek Dennis in to do a live stream and talk about the talent. He doesn't respect Canadian talent. He, he downplayed the talent his whole career in the CFL. He made fun of guys that signed contracts like Matthew Betts um, downplaying their talents. Um, I don't think he has any respect for Canadian talent or the league whatsoever. So, for me, I don't want him in the Hall of Fame. That is why you come here for Mike's fiery rants. I did not know he was going to go off on Derek Dennis, but it's really nice that he did. Let's move on. We're going to talk about another end of the player performance coin here. I guess it would be the other side. Coins don't have ends, you dumb, dumb man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we got to talk about the player boy, the corn dog himself, Taylor Cornelius. To put it bluntly, Mike, he has been awful in the first two yep. games of the season. He was particularly bad against the BC Lions this week, throwing for just 101 yards and leading the Elks to their first shutout loss since 1976. That was six years before I was born. The Elks as a whole have been horrendous, but it all starts with the quarterback. So, Mike, are you all in or all out on the Elks need to make a quarterback change and bench your boy, Taylor Cornelius. I'm all out on that. I think that you give him <laughs> one more week. I think you give him one more week. Um, uh, although my, my confidence is, is severely waning. I, uh, like, it's almost gone, to be honest with you. I, I just want to see him in one more game. And then if that's, 
you know, if he performs terribly once again, and I think Chris Jones has said the same thing. So uh, we might, we're probably both wrong on this to give him any more time, but I think that's going to happen. And uh, I would do the same thing. I think that he's been terrible. There's no, there's no sugarcoating. It's been absolutely awful. Um, but I don't necessarily think that Trey Ford's is, you know, I know that everyone wants to shine the light on Trey Ford because he's a Canadian quarterback. Uh, because Nathan Rourke did well last year. Everyone thinks that, you know, there's just going to be this plethora of huge Canadian talent in the quarterback position. Um, and I don't think that's the case. I don't think we've seen anything from Trey Ford to indicate that he's that next guy. Maybe he will be. I know that there's some idiots out there that said that he was the best quarterback in the NFL and CFL drafts a couple years ago, um, but that's just outlandish. Um, so maybe give Cornelius one more try. And then move on to Ford and see what he can do. Sounds like you're pulling a little Derek Dennis there and talking down on Canadian talent, buddy. <laughs> no, no, but I get where you're coming from. I, I'm all in on this. It, it, I'm not saying Trey Ford's the second coming of Jesus, but Taylor Cornelius has been dog poo. Like, I, I don't, I'm trying to be kind. He's been awful, like absolutely awful. The teamer, I, I don't know if I've ever gotten anything as wrong as my belief in the Edmonton Elks this year. They look like they might be the worst team in the CFL. And again, it's only two games. It's But to get shut out in this league is extremely difficult. So, yeah, I am, uh, I'm all in. I'm making a quarterback change. It, it can't do any harm. You can't get possibly worse than this. And if you are, well, then you know it's time to just blow the whole thing up and, and maybe just get rid of Chris Jones because he clearly doesn't have an eye for quarterbacking talent. But I think it's 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 time to move on from your boy. I think the experiment is uh, is unfortunately over in Edmonton for Taylor. That's a now, whether- I, I can't, you know, argue with that assessment because you're, you're spot on. I'm just holding on for yeah and honestly i'm I'm with you i don't think he's going to get benched this week like i think he's going to start this week but they're playing at home against the argos a the elks don't win at home b the argos are probably better i mean not probably the argos are better than the elks right now that roster in toronto is better whether i have my reservations about chad kelly or not they're probably going to get spanked by the argos this week i I just don't see any way that that Cornelius doesn't at some point get benched in this game and then lose his starting job and then probably gets cut because they're paying him an awful yep. lot of money. I mean, yeah, that, that was it. Right? I mean, he, he, he dropped down to the practice roster and then somehow made his way up to the starting role again. So if he falters uh, and he has faltered, if he really falters again, this game, I, I don't see why you would keep him around because the, you know, the numbers are terrible. He's not, um, He's not taking that next step, which I thought he would, and uh, I think his run would be over, yeah. All right, we're going to change it up a bit this week. We're going to play a second game. This time, we're going to play a little fill-in-the-blank. So, Mike, there are four undefeated teams remaining in the CFL. We have the 2-0 Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 2-0 BC Lions, 1-0 Toronto Argonauts, and 1-0 Montreal Alouettes. It's a little unfair, I think, to judge the Argos and the Owls on this, but they are undefeated, so we're going to throw them in here anyway. So, Mike, the fill-in-the-blank here is the undefeated team that you have the most faith in is blank. Winnipeg. They've, they've been, they look the best out of any team by far this year. The offense is clicking. Uh, You know, they don't even have Kenny Lawler yet, which would be their, their number one receiver. One of the best receivers in the league. Uh, The running game looks great. Their defense looks great. It's got to be the blue bombers. I have my questions about all of these teams. Like, I don't think the Alouettes are going to be undefeated for long. 
I have my Chad Kelly concerns. BC has looked good, but that game against Edmonton, like I know they won, but they won 22 nothing. The offense didn't look great. Vernon Adams was pretty erratic on some of his throws. He put up yeah, a bunch five, of yards. Six field goals, like they weren't. Yeah, producing. it wasn't. And honestly, with Winnipeg, I do. I like they're clearly the answer is Winnipeg. They're clearly head and shoulders above everyone else right now. But I do wonder if age will catch up to them because usually these teams that are that are more experienced, they'll start super hot. And then you hit the kind of like doldrums in like late September into October and you start to see the cracks form just because of age. Like it is a very veteran heavy roster. So I, I'm not saying that at, I'm at the end of the season that Winnipeg is going to run away with everything, but at this point it's hard to not have the most faith in the bombers to flip that over though. The undefeated team that you have the least amount of faith in is blank. I'm going to go with Ottawa. Uh, and it's close. No, no, undefeated, not winless. Oh, undefeated. Okay, yeah, the undefeated team. So the good teams. Who, who do you think okay, is? Okay, here we go. That makes more sense now, right? Yeah, uh, I got to go with Montreal then, because yes, they're. I mean, and they've only played one game, so they won their first game, la di da. But I just don't think this team can sustain uh, that winning culture over a full season. So for that reason, I have the Montreal Alouettes. Yeah, I had the Alouettes as well. I don't need to go into any more detail than you already did. I agree with everything you just said. Okay, now we're going to get to the winless teams, Mike. There are three winless teams in the CFL. We have the 0-2 Edmonton Elks, the 0-2 Ottawa Red Blacks, and the 0-2 Hamilton Tiger Cats. The winless team that you have the most faith in to turn things around is blank. I got to go with our Hamilton Tiger Cats. I, you know, they played... The two teams that were in the Grey Cup last year, they're obviously still very strong teams. Um, they haven't looked good. There's no doubting it. Hamilton has not looked good offensively. But I think, like we said in the, after the first week, I think the, these these problems are fixable. I think the talent is there. I think the quarterback is there. I think the offensive line is there. Things will start to click with Hamilton eventually. We kind of start, uh, expected this slow start, especially you, Josh. So I don't think it's time to panic in Hamilton, and I think they will get things turned around. I'm not sure if they're going to reach the peaks that they we thought they might, but I do think they will be a contender in the East this year. I, I'm with you on the Ticats, but let me make the case for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Okay. They are not a good football team right now, but of these three teams, they're the one team that we know is going to get an injection of superstar level talent when Jeremiah Mazzoli is back. If Mazzoli can get to the player we saw in Hamilton and can remain healthy once he's reinserted into the lineup, I think the Red Blacks have a really good chance of turning things around. You know, gun to my head, sodium pentothal in my veins. Who am I saying? I'm saying the Ticats because I do think like you said, I kind of predicted this slow start, but I do think they'll turn it around. But the bow injury does wane that a little bit. So Hamilton loses their starting quarterback. Ottawa's going to gain theirs. I think the Red Blacks have a chance to make their 0-2 start look like a, a distant memory at some point this year. And I still have a lot of faith in them to be a team that can make the playoffs. So that leaves us with, I'm assuming, what's going to end up being the same answer here. The winless team that you have the least faith in to turn things around is who? Yeah, it's, it's Ottawa. I just think that Sean Burke has came in with a lot of hype. 
He's stolen a bunch of Ticap players, a mishmash of players around the league, try to smack them together and make a good team. And it's just not going to work. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli coming back is not going to be this massive savior. I don't think he's the player that he used to be. I'm not even sure when he's going to come back. He was supposed to be ready for the start of the season, and he's been out for the first two games. So I don't know what he's going to look like. I don't think that he was ever really like the best quarterback in the league or even like I think we over evaluated him a little bit in Hamilton. Um, he was a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to take a team over the top um, and get them a championship. Um, like I said, I don't think Sean Burke, I think Sean Burke is overhyped. I think he's not as good as everyone thinks he is. And that's maybe why the Ticats let him go. So I have the Ottawa Red Blacks um, as my pick. Oh, see, I thought we'd both go with Edmonton because I got zero faith in the Elks right now. Like yeah, that's fair. going into this season, I, I thought they were the big turnaround team in the league and they've looked worse than they ever have before. I just don't think Edmonton – I don't think – as hard as – not hard, as weird as this is to say, I don't know if they've hit rock bottom yet. And that's saying something for a team that just got shut out. So I understand your your criticisms of the Red Blacks, but I do think that they can turn it around. But I don't know. Edmonton just feels like a lost cause right now. And It's next week with the, going into the minus points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. They'll, they'll somehow find a way – yeah, they'll somehow find a way to lose by – 30 by being beat 25 to minus five. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, man, that there's something broken there. And I don't even know if Chris Jones can fix it. And I, I think Chris Jones is the hell of a coach, but this is, uh, it's, ugly. This is a, it's, it's, yeah, it's ugly. It's very ugly. Okay. Last one. And this melds two of our favorite things. We're talking CFL and pro wrestling Toronto Argonauts running back. AJ Ouellette got involved with local Toronto independent promotion, Greek town wrestling last week getting into the ring, getting into the action, and hitting one of the combatants with a spear. In homage to this, the CFL and TSN panel had Davis Sanchez hit Milt Stiegel with a spear during halftime of Saturday's game between the Elks and the Lions. So, Mike, between Sanchez and Ouellette, the person that delivered the best spear was blank. I think it was Sanchez. I just think that he delivered his hit with more veracity. Um, and, yeah, I think that Ouellette's spear was a little weak, in my opinion. I'm 100% on board. I thought Sanchez actually delivered the spear, whereas Ouellette delivered like a running hug. It just, it wasn't, it, it was it was cool to see. I love anytime CFL guys. And Ouellette looks like the type of guy that would be into pro wrestling. Like he's got the mullet, he's got the big bushy beard. You know, he was in there with, without a shirt on. He looked, he looked like he could be a, a, a pretty, a pretty decent like local indie wrestler. But I thought his spear was weak. I, I, I really did. I thought it was one of the worst ones I've ever seen someone hit. Uh, Sanchez, as I thought, was absolutely brilliant. And he hit Milt, and he hit him so hard, it looked like Milt didn't realize that hit was coming, so that even made it a little bit better. So, yeah, I got to give it to Sanchez on that. Let's, quick aside, though, who do you think had the best spear in wrestling? I got to go with Goldberg. Uh, I just think that th- that spear looked like it hurt. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Anything after Goldberg's spear was kind of um, – and maybe I haven't seen everyone, you know, and every person that did it, but I'm going to have to go with Goldberg. Yeah, I think Goldberg's was the best. My favorite was Rhino's gore. I just thought he would, like, launch his body at people. But, no, I think without question, 
the, I don't think he's the originator of the spear, but he's definitely the one that did it best. And everyone else has been kind of imitating that going forward. It was definitely Goldberg. All right. Game preview time. Let's get into it. The Ticats will play a home game. The last team to play a home game in the CFL this year, as they will host the Montreal Alouettes on Friday night at Tim Hortons field. The Owls are coming off a bye, sporting that pristine one and zero record after defeating the Ottawa Red Blacks in week one. The Ticats obviously sit at 0-2 after beginning the season losing to both of last year's Great Cup participants. The Ticats and the Owls played as close a season series as you could last year, with the three games all being won by the home side in each game and the aggregate total from the three games producing a margin of victory of just a single point. The Owls obviously also eliminated the Ticats from the playoffs last year in the Eastern semifinal, handing the team their first loss on the Eastern side of the bracket since Orlando Steinhauer took over. There are also a ton of questions surrounding the status of Bo Levi Mitchell for Friday's game after he left week, the week two loss against the Argos with what looked like a possible quad injury. So the triumphant debut we had all hoped would happen back when Mitchell was signed will likely be put on hold. It's been a rough two weeks for the Ticats. There's no doubt about it. But Mike, how do you think or what do you think the team will have to do to beat the Owls and start their home schedule off on the right note? Limit turnovers. Limit stupid penalties. Get after Cody Fajardo because we know that Fajardo gets nervous in that pocket. Any pressure at all, and he's going to start, you know, with the happy feet. Get him, get him uh, riled up. Get him worried about this defensive line. This defensive line needs to step up. I don't care about the injuries anymore. We need, we need to uh, see good performances from the guys on the field, and then. Uh, you know, produce offensively, produce touchdowns, no more field goals. And I know we didn't have any field goals last game, but when you get into the red zone, make it count, get seven points. Yeah. So obviously the stop giving away free yards, stop giving, giving away free first downs, like stop being stupid is, is number one. Stop, just, just stop, just stop it. Mm-hmm. They got to stop forcing things, whether it's Bo or, or Schiltz back there, stop throwing the ball where it shouldn't go. We didn't see Schultz do that a ton when he got in there uh, this past Sunday, but I mean, it was against the, you know, prevent defense and the game. game, If you look at his numbers, I think he missed like one pass, but yeah, you have to take that with a grain of salt. No, it's, it's empty calories in the form of passing yards and completion percentage, just because the game, by the time Schultz got in there, the game was already over. So it, nothing he was going to do was going to change anything. Uh, and I think you gotta, you, you can't let Cody Fajardo improvise. You gotta let him, if he's going to beat you, you gotta make him beat you from the pocket. You're right. You gotta get it in his face. You gotta get, but you can't let him escape and make those wild deep throws or go on those long runs, which has been something that he's been adept at doing against the Ticats over the years. When he was with Saskatchewan, he, he had a, he, he was way more successful against them than almost any other team he played in the league, but it was a lot because of his improvisation, improvisational, uh, another week where I can't say a word his improv skills. Uh, you can't let that happen in this one. You got to hem him in, keep him in the pocket, make him beat you with his arm. Don't let him beat you with his legs. And I think that's the way that they'll come out victoriousness. Are you, how, how do you, how, what's your, what's your Paul? I mean, you're, you're going to do your tie cat scale of doom for Podsky Wawa, which I'm sure you're recording today, which I believe we'll put out tomorrow on Tuesday. What's your, what's your, um, I'm not telling you to give away your secret. That's for our patrons over at Patreon, but how are you feeling going into this game? Do you, is this, we talked about it earlier. It's not must win, but is it got to win maybe? I think I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know what to expect out of this Montreal team, really. Um, the, the Tiger Cats, 
need listen it's not must win but it would do a lot for this team and this franchise to get a win under their belts we uh, to go zero and three it's not a good look um especially when you're you know the expectations are are so high so i think it it's a a game that you really 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 want to win it's very important to get a win just for the team's morale and i think they will i i even with Schultz back there, and I, I believe it will, will be Schultz because I don't know. It would look like a, some kind of groin pole or something, and usually that's a couple weeks um, with Bo being out. So even with Schultz back there, I think he can run the offense pretty well. Um, it, it's going to depend a lot on the offensive line, how healthy they are. So I, I'm I'm at a medium confidence level. I think that they're going to get the win, but I wouldn't be shocked if they lost as well. Is there any concern that they're – going into another game, facing a team coming off a bye. This is the second – it's really the third week in a row that they're facing a team that didn't play the week before. Now, obviously, in week one, no team had played the week before. But the Bombers came in. It's week one, so every team starts fresh. Then they get the Argos in week two. The Argos are coming off a week one bye. Now they get the Alouettes in week three. The Alouettes are coming off a week one bye. Does that concern you in any way? Is that is that maybe thinking, oh – you know, the Alouettes didn't, I don't think they suffered a ton of injuries in their week one game and they've had a week off to rest. I mean, make normally, it, it, normally I wouldn't be concerned about that, but it's the injury status of all these Tiger Cats, right? You're talking about a team that was fairly healthy after their first game and then they had a bye week to rest up as well. So normally I wouldn't be concerned, but I think there there is a reason to be concerned with all the injuries along the offensive line and the defensive line. Uh, and and uh, you know we, with Lawrence Woods being out, having to start a, another rookie, Lawson Jr. at that cornerback position, uh, I think it is a bit of a concern this week. That's uh, that's fair. I guess we'll find out how everything goes on Friday night when the Ticats get a chance to get their first victory of the season. Before we get out of here, just wanted to remind everyone that if you want even more content from Mike and myself, you can join us over on the Pods Kiwi Patreon page. We have some new cup new stuff coming out almost every day during the week. Not a ton of weekends, but during the quote-unquote work week, we got new content going up almost every day. Mike has his own new show, Podsky Wawa, which we're, I think we've decided we're going to drop every Tuesday. Uh, so Mike will have a new episode of that coming out uh, as we record today on Monday. Tomorrow, uh, I got my What's Happening Tiger Town show coming out a couple times a week. Short week for the Ticats this week. I think there's only scheduled to be two real practice days, but I think I'll do an update after each one. So you'll still get two shows this week. And, of course, we'll do our what I've what sort of becoming a now semi-regular or will hopefully become a fully regular depth chart analysis when the depth chart comes out on Thursday of this week game ahead of Friday's game. Uh, we also got our weekly gambling show. We're going to be dropping our first mailbag episode soon, and we have a host of other fun stuff planned over there. So if you haven't already feel and you feel like supporting the show, head on over there and drop a few bucks. Top tier is just $9 a month, and I think you get some excellent value for that price, don't you, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. I, the, the thing that's the real pull there is you being at practices – you know, letting the the fans know what's going on because they've been clamoring for that since the days of Drew Edwards. And I know um, Steve Milton. And I know Steve Milton is there um, doing his thing. But, you know, Josh is there every day and he's doing his thing as well. So I think there's a lot of value in that $9 tier and and in the $6 tier as well. So a lot of great contact that we're trying to do our best for you guys over at Patreon. Yeah, I see a lot of questions of people going, what's this? What Like, like, Ticats news people, like people that want to know the inside information. You want the inside information? Come drop a few shekels on us. You'll get all the stuff you want to know. Believe me, I'm giving it all out there. 
Anyway, that was Podskew for this week. I am Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.